0: You have a question about your home? Call Ken the Contractor. Ken Patterson is a Class A licensed contractor who has designed and built multi-million dollar commercial and industrial projects and single-family homes up and down the East Coast. And now. Ken, the contractor, brings his years of experience to the radio. Roy, hi. You're on the air with Ken Patterson. Hey, guys. I love the show. and You know what? I really need to send you some pictures of the projects you guys have helped
1: me complete because We'd love really, to without them. your help, it, it, it would never have happened. Great. Thank you so much. We'd love to have them, too. Who knows? Okay. They may wind up on, on my website.
0: Do you have a question about your home, inside or out? Call Ken, the contractor. Hi, everybody, and welcome to another hour of Ken the Contractor. Ken Patterson is Ken the Contractor, and he's here weekends to help you with your projects in and around your home. If you have a question about your home, inside or out, you can always reach Ken at 800-614-2975. That's 800-614-2975. Or you can email your questions to Ken at our website, com. And we're going to start this edition of Ken the Contractor, talk with Ken a little bit about some of his recent travels. He had a chance recently, Ken, to spend some time in Europe and came back with some very vivid impressions of some of the different ways of that folks are living their lives, dealing with issues like energy and other things in and around their home.
1: Well, I was on a business trip to Sweden, Denmark, and Finland. And for me, frankly, it's the first time I've been in those countries. I've traveled to Europe on other occasions and have been in Germany and Italy, uh, France and Switzerland, and a number of other countries. But it's been some years. One of the things I learned years ago in the travel, though, is energy costs for people in Europe are substantially higher than they are to folks in the United States. That is due in part not to fuel prices proper, but to the taxing that government applies to, let's say, a gallon or a liter of gas. And today, even today, it's extremely high compared to where we are in the U.S. They were paying, as I left there, around $8 a gallon, the equivalent in American dollars and gallons, about $8. Now, folks, if we were paying $8 a gallon for fuel, we would be looking at every possible alternative it would be available to us to heat and cool our homes, to you know, for electricity generation and to make that car go down the road. Let me tell you, I'd have a burrow in my backyard. That's what I'd have. Yeah, you'd probably be riding that thing back and forth around to right, too. So you get started a few minutes earlier, just the old carrots That's trick. That's right. But, you know, it caused me to think about this, and as I had reason to be there for primarily for energy purposes on this business trip, looking at alternative energy sources for some American companies, the technology that has been embraced just in the last three to five years in Europe to reduce energy costs and building code changes are so substantial that it was an eye-opener to me. And some of you may be saying, yeah, I've known about this. I travel there every couple of months, and that's great. I want you to share it with your neighbors, what you're seeing and some of the experience. But the first thing that's very evident to me is what they are doing with alternative or what we would call green energy sources. And when you look at a country such as Sweden, you're hard-pressed to look in any direction and not see windmills or wind turbines generating electricity. That includes over the water. And I have seen in in this particular trip uh, fields located in the water with 50 and 60 wind turbines out in a bay generating power. You see them at individual households in some cases. You see them outside of cities feeding the grid into the power plants. There's a fair amount of constant wind, low velocity, 5 to 10 miles an hour in the areas that I happen to be in. But they're doing this because that energy cost is so high. Now, in Finland, you find a little different situation. There's not a tremendous amount of constant wind to fuel these wind turbines, so they have moved heavily into biomass, and that was one of the reasons I was there, into biomass boilers that they're using for cogen to generate electricity from and to generate heat as well for their factories and down to the individual home level. This is part of what we want to talk about for just a moment. That has to do with alternative energy sources. We also see a fair amount of solar in these areas. These countries have embraced building code changes that in some locations, and this floored me. I had to stop and think about it a little bit, but in some locations the cost of energy or the energy cost for a new home is essentially zero. And you heard me say that. It is zero. And the technology is there, and we see a little bit of it used in this country. And they're doing that by mandating building codes, and I'm not going to be a real advocate on that, but I'm going to tell you we as individuals need to be thinking about what we can do make our homes more energy efficient, look at the overall construction of the home, and then look at our heating and cooling sources, whether we're introducing solar power, and we now have manufacturers of HVAC or heating and cooling equipment in the market that introduce solar power and the the network to control that as part of an air conditioning and heating system. We also have seen for a number of years what some would call just the the wood-fired units that sit in the backyard and will heat hot water that brings it back in, circulates it through the inside of the house. You put wood in it once or twice a day. So those are things that we're gradually buying into, but in some cases we still are dealing with a degree of air pollution. This is the real key to what they are emphasizing there. They're not polluting the air. They're not polluting the water. They've got clean energy that's alternative energy sources, And in this country, when it comes to our homes and our factories and office buildings, we've got a long way to go. But there's an awful lot that we can do. So I want to encourage each one of you to take a hard look at your home. You've got questions about your energy efficiency, questions whether it's solar, whether it's a biomass heat system, a boiler heat system. Uh, It really doesn't matter what it is. Send me an email to KenTheContractor.com, and we'll investigate it together. If I don't have the answer, we'll find one or give us a call here on the show at any time, and we'll be glad to cover that as well. The other thing that has become very common, and this is partly because, I guess, of a relationship that these Scandinavian countries have developed with Russia, is they are seeing a, uh, certainly a larger amount of natural gas supplied to the country coming out of Russia. And they are also looking at that as clean-burning, uh, fairly inexpensive alternative energy source. And in the U.S., uh, this was, has been all over the media for the last couple of years. We've discovered some of the largest deposits of natural gas that exist in the world. And so hopefully as the pipelines are developed, as we see an infrastructure grow, as you and I ask about that when we build and move into communities, we will encourage them to to expand this. But as we see that take place, we're going to find cheaper and cheaper ways of producing the energy that we need to live in our homes, offices, and factories. So just something quite fascinating. Keep in mind, if it gets to be $8 a gallon for gasoline, you'll be calling, I'll be calling you, we'll be having these conversations about how can we get by a little cheaper? You're not going to pay
0: $350
1: to fill up that SUV.
0: Well, you know, and and that is... The difference when you do travel outside of the U.S. and you you see that necessity is the prime motivator. Also, the way of life is very different. It's more an urban environment with lots more mass transit being utilized. Lots of things within walking distance. For a lot of our listeners, that's just not applicable because they live in mostly rural areas. Yeah.
1: And, and I had occasion to be in some of the more rural areas as well. Uh, big cities like Helsinki, Finland have a huge mass transit. And uh, while I was there, I was on, I think, everything they had from uh, train, plane, bus, uh, boat, you name it, I was there. And, but when you look at smaller environments, they do not. But what I noticed is, one, all the vehicles, first you might guess, are quite small. But also, I didn't see too many vehicles moving with just one person. Now, whether that was planned or whether it's just the way they travel, I don't know, but they're a little more energy conscious than we are.
0: And we'd also like to take this opportunity to welcome those of you who are listening to Ken the Contractor, possibly for the first time, on one of our newest affiliates. That's WKAC 1080 AM serving Huntsville and Athens, Alabama, and also Southern Tennessee. We welcome you to be part of the program. All you have to do is pick up the phone, and give us a call, 800-614-2975. That's 800-614-2975. Or you can email your questions to Ken the contractor.com coming up in just minutes on this edition of ken the contractor ken will go one-on-one with a representative from ge briggs and stratton to talk about standby generators and also minutes away in our in the news segment ken's going to talk about solar shingles it's all coming up this hour on ken the contractor Again, if you have a question about your home inside or out you can reach ken at 800-614-2975 you're listening to ken the contractor
1: do you have questions about your home
0: inside or out
1: KenTheContractor.com is all you need to know. I'm Ken Patterson, Ken the Contractor. Visit KenTheContractor.com for answers to plumbing, fencing, electrical, roofing, painting, heating, fireplaces, decks, and much more. Submit your questions or call anytime. Remember,
0: KenTheContractor.com, where folks come for professional answers. Well, Welcome back. You're listening to Ken the Contractor. I'm Jim Britt along with Ken the Contractor. Phone lines are open. Do you have a question about your home, inside or out, you can always reach Ken at 800-614-2975. That's 800-614-2975. And don't forget, you can also post questions online at KenTheContractor.com. We've got a couple of those mailbag questions. And here's a rather basic one from Amanda, Ken. And it's uh, concerns uh, Amanda has about installing a security door first for our listeners to Find what type of door she's talking about.
1: Well, let me read the email, and then I have to make some assumptions when I get emails from each of you. So, if you are sending me information that in your mind it's very clear, but look, you know, you look at it again and say maybe he doesn't quite follow that. Give me a little more detail so that the answer I give you is based on your true question. I don't want to steer you in the wrong direction. And what Amanda sends to us says she says there have been uh, burglaries in our neighborhood, and we want to install security doors. Will we need to reinforce the door frames somehow? Now, Amanda, I'm making this assumption that you're talking about a what some would call a gate, maybe a wrought iron gate, uh, along on the exterior of your primary door. And in areas of the country where we have greater tendency for burglaries and, and so forth, it's not uncommon to see these on both doors and windows. And I have my, frankly, I have concerns about installing them in all locations. But for your benefit, Amanda, if this is what you're talking about, you may have to reinforce that door. I can't see what your door jam is like. Most door jams are usually at least of what's referred to as a five-quarter stock material. So it's going to be a nominal inch and a quarter. Older jams may be up to a full two inches. What needs to happen, if you're installing this, or especially if you've got a professional, they're going to look at it and let you know whether the jam itself is substantial to the point of not only holding the weight, but maintaining you've got enough grip for the screws to attach to. In many cases, with block construction, brick construction, the installers of these gates will apply them mounted directly to the brick or the block. They are decorative gates, and you have the option of opening and closing those and latching them from the inside uh, as opposed to exterior only. So it's not a bank vault door. It's not going to secure from the outside. It will still secure from the inside. So my recommendation to you, one, is before you buy anything or have anything made is that you call whoever's going to install the door out and have them look at this and be certain of what you need so that you are fully assessing the cost because the cost may be far more than just having that particular security gate made. Now, I want to go back on a a comment I made regarding my reservations about these. Many locations around the country will prohibit these from being installed because of the life safety code exit purposes from the building. You need to be able to get out of the house if there's a fire. You have windows that have to meet certain egress requirements from each bedroom, certain sizes, and you certainly need to maintain these doors in that same situation so that you're not trapped if there's smoke or fire within the home. So I want to caution you, Amanda, and everybody else is thinking about installing some type of security gate to be sure that it meets your local fire department criteria and building code criteria and that you don't endanger yourself or someone else in that home.
0: Very good. And we've got another email, and again, it comes to us from our newest affiliate, and that is WKAC 1080 AM, serving Huntsville and Athens and Alabama, and also southern Tennessee. And this question, Ken, is one that we seem to get more and more, and that's a possible conversion involving taking something and turning it from electric to gas.
1: Well, we do. Frequently, we see it going the other direction. That's one reason I thought this was of interest to bring to the air. This comes to us from Juanita in Athens, Alabama. She says, I just started listening to the show, and I hope you can help. We have a 20-year-old electric range. My husband and I have taken cooking classes. I'm glad to hear that and are really getting into cooking. It seems to be a good hobby for a lot of people these days. Since we use gas stoves for cooking in class, we realize we prefer gas. We live in the country, and we do not have natural gas available. There is no LP gas to the house. It's all electric. What do we need to consider to change to gas cooking, and is this very expensive? Well, Juanita, I'm pleased to tell you that this might be your lucky day. You're going to get information that a lot of people would prefer to hear from me, and that is you're going the right direction as far as reducing cost. Frequently, the question is, I want to get away from gas cooking or gas appliances, and I want to move to all-electric. And for those of you listening saying, well, what's the difference? Well, it can mean the difference in that case of you having to completely upgrade your electrical service, do a fair amount of work, even the power company, come in and change the meter base on the outside of the home. That usually cost a few thousand dollars to have all of that work done, depending on where you live. But Juanita, in your case, the good thing is that you already have the electrical capacity for a gas cooktop, a gas range, I mean electric, and you're going to consume much less in electricity when you change it to a gas unit. Now, what you are going to have to do is have some an electrician modify either the existing 220 circuit to the range or... Uh, Simply pull another circuit in or find uh, appropriate power nearby because most gas ranges require 120 volts, and that's for your clock and timers and a few other things that's on it. But they don't have the high demand or the high usage or need that 220-volt power that the electric range does. The other thing that you will have to have done is you're going to have to have an LP tank installed for or propane tank And I'm not aware of any place that I've ever traveled or been around the country where those are not readily available. Most of the tanks will be leased to you by your local gas provider. As long as you buy gas from them, uh, they continue to provide the tank. In many locations, you do have the option of actually purchasing the tank. Then you can shop around for your gas each time you have it filled. So I recommend that you bring one of the gas companies out, show them what you're looking to do, find an appropriate place that meets codes in your area to place that tank away from foundation vents, away from doors, away from windows. There are code criteria for that. And figure out how it will be piped into your kitchen. But when it's all said and done, I think you'll find this is far less costly than having for others that have to upgrade the electrical service to go the other way around. So I wish you well in this venture. If you have any other questions, just give us a call on the show or go back to the website. You obviously have found that. And, Juanita, we thank you for listening.
0: Very good. Uh, and and her question, as I mentioned, is emblematic of one that we get a lot. I know a lot of folks are looking at uh, different areas, uh, and and you can – You hear this now being pitched by the different utilities and energy providers, and that is the difference, and one of the ones that I've heard a lot of ads for recently, hot water heaters, and urging people to change from an electric hot water heater to a gas hot water heater.
1: Well, in many environments, and right now, especially if you are on uh, natural gas, it is far more economical to heat your hot water with natural gas than it is even with LP or with line voltage electric with through the, through the grid and that's one reason you'd see that and people have asked me well why do power companies want to encourage us to save energy well folks they're making about all the money they can based on the power plant capacity that they have and what they realize is if we can't be more energy efficient in our usage They're going to have to build power plants, and power plants cost billions of dollars and take years and years to get permitted and to get this through the system and then to get up and running and online. So this is a very lengthy and financially demanding process, and it's wise for the energy companies to do both of what they're doing. One suggests that we conserve energy, but also to help us, not just suggest it, but to show us ways and to tell us how we might use less electricity. In the long run, we all benefit, and that's the game plan. All of us should benefit as we move forward.
0: Well, and you hear stories that are quite common at this time of year where they're looking at, particularly in areas like the southwest and the west, where they're going to have to deal with some type of management of the electrical supply, particularly if some very warm weather continues with rolling blackouts. They just right now don't have the capacity.
1: The capacity is not there. In some cases, it's in the generating source, and also it's in the grid, the lines, just to transfer, to get all that power from one place to the other. Many of us, many of you listening out there are old enough as well that you have seen what's happened when we have not only the, the, the roaming, the changing blackouts or brownouts that we have, but you see what happens when the grid gets overloaded and the whole east coast of the country, or the Midwest or the West Coast is down for
0: hours. Ken Patterson is Ken the Contractor. Do you have a question about your home inside or out? You can always reach Ken at 1 800 614 2975. That's 800 614 2975. You're listening to Ken the Contractor. Oh, Welcome back. You're listening to Ken the Contractor. I'm Jim along with Ken the Contractor. Our phone lines are open. If you'd like to join us, don't forget you can always reach Ken at 800-614-2975. That's 800-614-2975. Or... Send your questions to Ken online at KenTheContractor.com. Time now for one-on-one with Ken the Contractor. Each week, Ken brings you information about products and services from companies and experts he interviews during his travels, all to make your life better and provide options and services. We
1: are pleased to have with us Carissa Gingras. Now, Carissa is with GE Generators, Briggs & Stratton, Marketing Manager. I guess that's actually your technical title.
2: That is a very technical title.
1: And we're going to have you explain that a little more here in just a moment, but welcome to the show today. Thanks, Ken. We're going to be talking about whole house generators. One of the things I want you to do is to make a distinction between the whole house generators and generators because commonly in the marketplace people will say, I'd like a generator for my house, or I've thought about having a generator for my home. How do I go about doing that? First let's make a distinction in what we're talking about here.
2: Right so typically we look at two different styles of of generators. One is a portable generator and portables are very handy if homeowners have just gone through a power outage a significant storm and they just really need to sort of save their food in the refrigerator. Power just a few things and then we talk about a standby generator and that's what we have from GE generator systems. We actually create standby permanently installed generators that go on automatically as soon as the power goes out.
1: So there's no confusion there if you're looking to power just your freezer and a power outage, that typical generator that we may use as contractors in the field to operate skill saws with, that's fine. Run the extension cord. Never put the generator in your house or in your garage or under an open window. Be sure it's clear of the house, but we're talking about whole house generators. Now, these are systems that many of you asked me about that are fully automated. They will tie into the electrical service. You don't have to touch it. Is that correct?
2: That is correct. Within anywhere from 10 to 20 seconds after a power outage, your system will automatically go on and whatever you're powering with that standby generator, your entire house, all of your appliances go on automatically.
1: You have two particular systems or units that you want to talk about in terms of the power production, the KW, if you will. Tell us a little bit about those and then we're going to talk about some versatility with them.
2: Yeah, we're really, excited to introduce our 17 and 20 kW units. They're uh, a new design, um, but what's really exciting about this is it's actually groundbreaking airflow technology. And, and that's really important to people because essentially what we've been able to do with that is we're actually pushing the CO2 out the front. We're front exhausting the unit. So it hasn't been kind done of in backwards the from
1: what most people think about.
2: A little bit. The exhaust typically are on the sides of the units where we're actually looking at pushing it out the front. So um, that enables us to put the unit closer to the home. Um, it also allows us to put shrubbery and landscaping on the side of the units when typically, again, if, if you have the exhaust on the side, you actually have to t- stay anywhere from five to ten feet away from shrubbery. So consumers can actually kind of have that blend in a little more with their landscaping.
1: And it's also my understanding that this technology makes this a very quiet unit.
2: Yes, we're actually bending the air as we go through this airflow technology. So the result of that is because we're exhausting out the front and we're bending the air, the air essentially has to go through a couple of 90-degree turns and some loops. Um, it actually is, we're looking at a 25% reduction in sound loudness, and we're, we're actually hoping that this is going to be one of the quietest generators of this size on the market.
1: So for those living in subdivisions, especially where there may be ordinances regarding these not being seen, being blocked by landscaping, behind fencing, close to the house, a decibel level that's written in some covenants and restrictions, this would be the generator for them to consider, because it sounds like it's going to meet all kinds of criteria that other systems do not.
2: Yeah, Absolutely. It's also, you know, it is very consumer-driven. Uh, it's a really good-looking unit. It has a galvanial structure, uh, the enclosure, so it's corrosion-resistant. Um, it also has a slope roof, uh, which typically isn't done. So it don't keeps any snow away. It also pushes the rain away from the foundation.
1: All right, let's talk about capacity, because you mentioned some numbers that may not mean a lot to our listeners. You had a, a 17 and a 20 kW. Equate that to them. Most, most of you listening out there will have an electrical service that's typically 200 amps. You may have a 400 amp service, and if you do, you generally are going to have two subpanels somewhere in the house. Not always, but that is most common residential construction. So a 17 and a, a 20 kW, how will that work for folks let's say first with a 200 amp service
2: we have 200 amp services for both of those units we also offer another new product that we're talking about is actually a, a dual 200 amp transfer switch you mentioned uh, you know a lot of times people have two 200 amp coming into service coming into their home
1: total 400 amp right. single meter so you're not confused but that'll give you two 200 amp panels
2: and we actually we've taken that we've made it easier for the installers by putting that all in one box so typically they've actually had to purchase two different transfer switches each 200 amps this one is 200 amp inside one box. Makes it easier for them to hang, makes it easier for them to install, quicker.
1: So that means there's some type of internal load management system so that you've got a total potential of 400 amps, but yet you've got a 200-amp rated generator because I think we all know that it's almost never that we draw that total amount of power at one time, and that's motor starting loads, all the compressors, the oven, everything coming on instantly. Right. There's something in this with new technology that controls that. Am I correct?
2: Right. Absolutely. We have um, okay. Symphony 2 power management, which is just as you said you know a lot of the codes require that generator to be able to power everything at the same time but we know as as homeowners that typically we don't have everything going on at the same time what our units allow is it's going to take care of all the things that you want to go on immediately and then it provides access to other appliances high wattage appliances that you might want to manage so you can actually get a smaller generator it's less expensive more affordable smaller footprint uh, we like to say that it powers more for less
1: Okay, now how is this generator or any of these, how are they fueled? Are there optional fuel sources? Are they gas? Are they LP?
2: They are either natural gas or liquid propane. It's up to the homeowners to what they have. So any of our generators are actually applicable to both of those.
1: From experience, I can tell you that this is the cleanest burning operation. Requires the least amount of maintenance as far as the engine goes. This should be a clean, burning, very easy-to-maintain generator. And it sounds like it's fully automatic. It's just it's out of sight. It's out of mind. When the power's out, 15, 20 seconds, your power's back on while your neighbors are still in the dark.
2: Exactly. Everybody's just living their life normally inside their home.
1: They'll all be at your house, especially if it were something like a Super Bowl weekend or a special event, NASCAR during the middle of the year, golf tournament, whatever. They may be coming over and and eating and watching TV with you because they'll have no power. Right. Tell me a little bit about the Briggs & Stratton side of the GE Generator so folks aren't confused. I mentioned both those names when we opened this segment.
2: Sure. We're actually the exclusive licensee of GE Generator Systems at Briggs & Stratton. So we actually, we manufacture, we design design, develop, all of the GE standby generators. You know, we have a history and a legacy in creating engines, which is an extremely important component of standby generators.
1: Where do folks go if they want to find out more about household generators?
2: Um, they can purchase generators at Home Depot. their exclusive uh, retail partner. We also have a network of authorized dealers where they can get standby generators from GE.
1: Carissa, we appreciate you joining us today. Thanks for all the update and the information on the GE standby generators. Thanks, Ken.
0: You know, and you would think... That these would be most popular in particularly "quote unquote" the country, as people like to refer to it, or rural areas. But I know a lot of folks in and around one major urban area, and that's the nation's capital, who have gone out and put these in because of the issues that the provider in the D- in the D.C. area has had. Uh, they've had some long. Outages, snowstorms, thunderstorms, all different times of the year where they've gone days without power.
1: And I'm familiar with other metropolitan areas where just the grid is is a problem occasionally, as we have discussed. And people that can afford it want to have this whole house standby. So they're popular 12 months out of the year these days, not just during hurricane season if you're a coastal uh, environment liver.
0: Yeah, and for a lot of folks in those areas, they're almost standard equipment when a house is built.
1: Uh, they really are today. We see that more and more. It's designed in with the initial home, so no matter where you live, give it a thought.
0: Do you have a question about your home inside or out? Well, you can reach Ken Patterson. You can always reach him at his contact number. That's 800-614-2975. That's 800-614-2975. Or you can email your questions to Ken. You can send them and forward them to our website. That's Ken the Contractor. And again, our number, 800-614-2975. We'll take a quick break and come right back. You're listening to Ken the Contractor. Do you have a question about your home, inside or out? Well, Ken the Contractor is right here. He's ready to help. A house is what you build. A home is what you make it. Ken Patterson is Ken the Contractor. You can always reach him at 800-614-2975. That's 800-614-2975. And let's go to the phone lines right now. Joining us next here on Ken the Contractor is Rick. He listens to our program on WEEU in Reading. Hi, Rick. You're on the air with Ken the Contractor.
2: All right, well I got a question. I am actually living in a rented home um and and so this is more the owner's problem but I, I'm curious about it and we have a very, very good relationship with the landlady. Um and I went down we, we kinda went down into our basement and we noticed that there are some cracks in the floor and that water is actually seeping up through those cracks. The question I have is there's something like a sealer we could put on those cracks or is this a more serious kind of thing?
1: Without alarming anybody, I would have to to put it in your phrase, it's more serious than just putting a sealer on the cracks. Now, are these cracks in the middle of the slab or are they adjacent to the wall where the slab is poured up against the block?
0: They're actually coming through the middle of the floor.
1: Okay. And that is simply hydrostatic pressure. That's the pressure of the water. What that tells me is that the water is not getting away from that foundation fast enough based on the volume. And several things can be causing that, and it can be as simple as the grade having settled around the foundation where it needs to be built up, compacted materials put in place so that the water is being forced away from the foundation and not down along those walls. It could be that simple. Mm-hmm. could be also as simple as a foundation drain that exists being plugged up at the end. Are you aware of any pipe, drain pipe? Uh, some people would, older homes would be tiles as opposed to a black pipe coming well, out get- around that?
2: Well, so we've got the. Uh, there's a the the basement. You actually, have to go outside to enter. And there's a basement drain in the basement, uh, and there's also a drain uh, in the uh, the staircase, the stairwell going down into the basement. Okay. And we we keep those clean because if we don't, then you know the plant debris gets in there, then it can back up.
1: Right, but there's no pump that you see inside these, so it's a gravity drain as far as you can tell. Yes. And what that tells me though is, if it's a gravity drain, there has to be a discharge somewhere outside around the home. Mm -hmm. And my suggestion would be to look around and see if that has silted in perhaps. Don't know how long you've lived there. If you're fairly new, maybe over time, uh, grass, leaves, just dirt has silted, filled this area in, and the water can't properly uh, drain. It may drain slowly because Mm -hmm. it's weeping its way through whatever's clogging it up so that in in a normal rain, let's say a light or average rain, you don't see a real issue with it. But in these real heavy rains, it's just more volume than can be properly discharged. That is the first thing I would be looking for because that is so easy to fix. It may take a shovel. It may take a rake just to pull some debris out. Um, You may need to go back up in the pipe a little bit and pull some trash out that's there. That may be all that's necessary. All right. But I would try that first. And beyond that, next you need to look at the grade around the house, something to, to talk to your landlord about. And then it gets a little more serious after that. If those two areas do not solve the problem, call back or have her call back, and we'll talk about it. All right. Thank you for the help. Thanks for the call.
0: Thank you, Rick. We do appreciate it. Don't forget, you can always reach Ken at 800-614-2975. Time now for our weekly In the News segment, uh, where Ken brings products, trends, and services that are important to you to make informed decisions about your home and maintenance, also remodeling and new construction. What's up this week?
1: Well, this is really an update on a product that I introduced to most folks about 10 months ago that came to us from Dow. This was a solar shingle, and I've had a number of people, more than I really had imagined, would ask me about the solar shingle. What that says is we're thinking a little bit about alternative energy. So I do want to bring you an update from Dow as they continue to expand what they call their the Dow Powerhouse. And if you're asking about it through your retailers, that's what you want. Dow Powerhouse Solar Shingle. They have recently expanded that into the Texas market. And one of the things they didn't reveal to us when this was introduced at the International Builders Show is that they were going to go slow bringing this into different markets across the country. They gave us a time frame that we would start seeing it in the marketplace about 10 months ago, so the fall of last year. But what we have since found out is that they are going very slow as they release it state by state. So many of you that are listening to us, unless you hire a contractor out of California, Colorado, or Texas, you're not likely to get the Dow solar shingles, the powerhouse shingles, installed on your roof at this point. Part of the purpose of this is that they are actually training the installers. They're making certain that everything is installed correctly, that it's per their specs, and they are monitoring this. So I have to commend them for doing what, in my opinion, is the right thing, being certain that once it's installed, everybody, including Dow and the end user, will be happy because now you are integrating an electrical system with your shingles, and it serves both purposes. You can replace the shingles on whether it's new construction or retrofit. When these come to your market, with a solar shingle that will help power your house.
0: Very good. All right, we've got time to get one more mailbag in again from KenTheContractor.com, and this one comes to us from South Carolina.
1: It does, and uh, Joshua writes to us. He said, are the hollow wall anchors sufficient to support towel bars? And sometimes, you know, it's the simple questions that involve a complex answer. I'm going to give you the short version of this one, though, Joshua. Towel bars have a fair amount of activity on them that we really don't think about. Normally, we're thinking about just mounting the towel bar. It's not very heavy, and will it stay in a drywall surface? But you have to remember that not only do adults, but kids as well, have a tendency to tug and pull on a towel. A towel It's wet if you're pulling, a, say, a bath towel off of that, and you've got a lot of extra weight, and then you start yanking on one end of the other. You've got not only uh, the downward pressure on that, which has a tendency to want to pop anchors out of the wall, But in some cases, you're pulling straight out. This is where you get the big holes in the sheetrock. So my recommendation for anyone installing towel bars that will hold more than than washcloths or hand towels, uh, something heavy, is that you look at the anchor proper. The screw anchors generally work well if they're large enough, or at the very least, you may want to consider using a toggle bolt, something that spreads more of that weight over the back of the drywall. The ideal situation is always to mount one or both ends of a towel bar into a stud, or if you're building a new home, think about it and get blocking placed in the wall for toilet paper holders, towel bars, for uh, uh, shower rods or uh, doors that will go up on your tub and shower enclosure. That is the best possible scenario. So if you're getting ready to remodel or you're thinking about new construction, talk to your builder, sit down and plan where you want these to go and be sure there's blocking in the wall. Once you put them in, you can do chin-ups on those things at that point. But the normal anchors are not designed to carry that kind of load. So I want you to think about it, and I'm glad you asked the question, Joshua.
0: It's it's one of those things you don't think about that often, but particularly if you do have younger children, uh, as I've said many times before, once you have kids, everything becomes what I guess is called an attractive nuisance to some people, but possible problems if you're a parent. And usually... Those possible problems could have some significant dollars attached to them if they decide to try to do the chin-ups and things.
1: Well, they do, and I've seen that happen more times than a few. You probably did in your own household, had some issues in mind many, many years ago, and I see that with families. And what you don't want to do is move into something new or refurbished or you just put an item up and a week later, now you've got a big maintenance item, you've got a huge hole in the drywall. So thinking about that simple little anchor
0: can solve a lot of problems going forward. The amazing thing about that simple item, which years ago was pretty much standard you might have a couple of different options Boy, you've got a world of options today from all different manufacturers
1: there are dozens if not hundreds that are out there but again they're not all suited for the same situation so read the spec sheet on them look at your environment are you dealing with plaster walls are you dealing with plywood are you dealing with drywall look at the particular anchor and then look at where it's going and how it's going to be used so that you can put it in one time and it'll stay there until you get ready to change it
0: Are you working on a home improvement project this weekend, or maybe simply a nagging problem that you'd like to get corrected once and for all? You can get some help from Ken Patterson. Online, you can forward your questions to KenTheContractor.com, where you can always join us here on the show at 800-614-2975. That's 800-614-2975. That'll wrap up this hour of Ken the Contractor. For Ken Patterson, I'm Jim Britt. Thanks for joining us this hour right here with Ken the Contractor. Don't forget, you can always reach us at 800 614 2975.
1: Do you have questions about your home, inside or out? KenTheContractor.com is all you need to know. I'm Ken Patterson, Ken the Contractor. Visit KenTheContractor.com for answers to plumbing, fencing, electrical, roofing, painting, heating, fireplaces, decks, and much more. Submit your questions or call anytime. Remember, KenTheContractor.com where folks come for professional answers.
0: You've been listening to Ken the Contractor. Every weekend at this time, Ken the Contractor, Ken Patterson is here taking your calls. Don't forget, you can friend Ken on Facebook at Ken the Contractor and follow him on Twitter at Ken Answers. And if you're looking for home improvement information at any time, go to KenTheContractor.com.